and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm LT on the MIC. And I'm Julia. <laughs> you know how I long wasn't I've been ready for do, that. You know how long I've been wanting to do that? No. A long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I remembered it on the way over here and I was like, today's the today's day. Today's the day. Well, how you doing, Jewel? Well, it sounds like I don't. Hmm, I'm not sick. No, I've just lost my voice. Uh-huh. Uh, this is about as much voice as I've had for a couple of days. It's still pretty good. I mean, I can hear you. Is it, and hey, <laughs> frankly, that's all that matters. That's really, that matters. <laughs> it's really all that matters. So yeah, I was joking that today you might not be able to tell us apart because I'm I'm going to be a low voice bitch. Just a couple of LVBs on the on the <laughs> on the MICs. <laughs> I love it. Um, so uh, if if you don't mind, I will take, since I don't have the voice, <laughs> since I have the voice, um, I will take this announcement please, if that's okay with you. Please, it's announcement time. It's announcement time. So uh, everybody, uh, Geek Bowl is coming up. We're very excited. We're going to be there. And if you're going to be there uh, in Chicago this March, you know, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th or whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There is going to be an Extriviaganza, a podcast in a Laminati mixer, on Thursday, March 5th, uh, from 7 p.m. to question, question mark. mark. Uh, and that is going to be a bunch of your favorite podcasts, including us and some others that we won't mention. No, I'm oh. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no. no, we're going to have um, Triviality is going to be there, our Trivia Brothers, our Podcast Brothers, uh, Andy from Complete the List. Us, of course. Uh, Sports trivia face off with Aaron and Brent. Um, Lee from the uh, now deceased something (laughs) something birds. The RIA took away. Yeah, (laughs) he does. uh, He will have um, stickers and bumper stickers and like. I think you could like play a game, play some like mini games. Yeah, that'll be fun. Play some mini games, and he's got some bumper stickers and things that say uh, the RIA took my podcast away, which is very funny. (laughs) Uh, Jonathan and Carmela from Trivial Warfare. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. They're going to be there. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited to see them. And uh, Tara from uh, our our intrepid leader from the Illuminati group. So um, it's going to be at the Bar Louie in Printer's Row. Don't worry. It is going to be open. It's going to be open. <laughs> there was some... There were some issues because Bar Louie yeah. is closing all over yeah. the United States. Yeah, in our States. original location, this is kind of a little bit why the announcement got a little delayed. Yes. it turned out that our original location was one of the locations that shut down. Yeah, it shut down completely. So, uh, But this one, open. open. No worries. Do not worry about it. Uh, so we're going to have karaoke. There's going to be board games. There's going to be specialty drinks. There's going to be like a food menu. Um, and we're going to have some on-demand t-shirt printing of our respective logos and things. That's and we're thinking about doing like a like a band tour t-shirt with all the logos and the date and everything like that. So it's going to be really exciting. So yeah, again, one more time. That's Thursday, March 5th at Bar Louie and Printer's Row. We're going to be posting um, the link for that. There's uh, an event bright mm-hmm. link and it's free. I mean, the tickets are free. You just show up. Um, but if you could register, that would be great so that we have an idea of how many people are coming. So yes. that'll be pinned to our Twitter and that'll be pinned to our Facebook. And uh, yes. yeah, we hope to see you there. It's going to be super fun. It's going to be, I think that, I think the young people call it a banger. A banger. It's going to be a banger. <laughs> Did I use that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's going to be a real banger. 
Um, so yeah, please come. Uh, we're very excited and we're excited to see all of our podcast friends. Yeah. Yeah. And trivia friends. And trivia friends, of course. In general. So for today's episode. Yes. I decided. I know that we're like, we're kind of in award season. Yeah, absolutely. People, you know, talk about the Grammys and the Oscars and oh, yeah. all that stuff. But I'm not talking about that. I'm oh. going more highbrow today. Ooh, highbrow. Today's episode is, it's a major award. Literary medals and prizes. So. Ooh. I don't think I know a lot about those. Great. Great. That's what I'm here for. Thank you. So, so I feel like sometimes um, there's different there's different prizes that are for specific genres of literature. Mm-hmm. We'll cover those. Um, there are certain prestigious ones. Mm-hmm. There's ones that are for like a specific work published during a year or sometimes prizes honor a specific person and take into account their whole body of work. So it's not just like a book award. It's yeah. sometimes it's um, just... Like an author award. Exactly, or a, yeah. exactly. In the field of literature. So cool. The first one, I'm sure everybody's heard of this one, the Nobel Prize in Literature. Sure. So this is that Swedish Literature Prize. It's awarded been awarded annually since 1901. Um, it can be to an author from any country who has, in the words of Swedish industrialist Alfred Nobel, produced, quote, in the field of literature, the most outstanding work in ideal direction. So while individual works are sometimes cited as being particularly noteworthy, the award is actually based on an author's body of work as a whole. So literature is one of the five Nobel Prizes established by the will of Alfred Nobel in 1895. Mm-hmm. Lauren, I know you hate it when I do this to you. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> can you name me? Can you name me the other Nobel Prizes? Okay. Um, uh, Health and Human Services. No, uh, that's, that's a cabinet commerce. position. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, there's... Um, is there medicine? Yes. Okay. Uh, there's... Um, oh, God. Uh, chemistry? Uh-huh. Um, uh... Uh, biology? Nope. Um, astronomy? <laughs> no. Shoot. <laughs> Ooh, I'm, I'm just naming all the sciences. Physics? Yes. Okay. And then one more big one. Uh, engineering? No, it's no. the big one. The big peace. Nobel Prize. Peace. Yes. Peace, peace, peace. So, the, sorry, I know <laughs> you right. didn't want to do that. It's okay. The five Nobel Prizes are literature, chemistry, peace, physics, and physiology or medicine. Okay. Um, economics is sometimes considered under the name of the yeah. Nobel Prize, but it was actually added by Sweden's Central Bank in 1968 and is actually named in Nobel's memory. It wasn't one of the original prizes. Okay. okay. So it's kind of a, with an asterisk. Yes. Okay. Okay. So for literature specifically, um, each year the Swedish Academy sends out requests for nominations of candidates and members of the Academy who are members of literature academies and societies, professors of literature and language, um, often sometimes former Nobel winners and presidents of writers organizations. They're all allowed to nominate a candidate and you cannot nominate yourself. Mm. Um, So by April of that year, the Academy narrows the field down to about 20 candidates. And then a month later, there's a short list of five names. So for the next four months, every Everybody, uh, everybody like on the panel is supposed to read and review all the works of all the candidates. Oh. Like, like you got four months. You have to read every book this guy ever wrote. Um, if I know anything about academics. It's that they're not going to do they're that. They're not going to do that. 
<laughs> really, really tearing back the veil here. Yeah, exactly. So by October that year, members of the Academy vote and the candidate who receives more than half of the votes is named the Nobel Laureate in Literature. So no one can actually get the prize without being on the list at least twice. What? Unclear. Um, <laughs> and so many of the same authors reappear and are reviewed repeatedly over the years. So Ugh. maybe that's how they get around having to read all that stuff because they're like, I did that three years ago. I'm not doing it Yeah, again. no, I'm defo not doing that again. So the judges are composed of an 18-member committee who are elected for life. Wow. And up until 2018, they were not technically permitted to leave. Oh, <laughs> but oh uh, King Carl... King Carl the 16th Gustav amended the rules of the Academy and made it possible for members to resign if necessary. But at, at a certain point, it was like, you're on the committee forever. <laughs> That's very ominous. So a, a literature Nobel Prize laureate earns a gold medal, Ooh. a diploma with a citation, nice. and a sum of money. <gasps> How much money, you ask? The amount um, of money awarded depends on the income of the Nobel Foundation that year. But oh. for 2019, it was 9 million Swedish krona, equivalent to $934,290.90 American. That's nothing to sneeze at. Nothing to sneeze at, Absolutely my friends. <laughs> Man. So 112 Nobel Prizes in literature have been awarded between 1901 and 2019 to 116 individuals. That has been to 101 men mm. and 15 women. Jesus. It's been sh actually shared between two individuals on four occasions and seven times they decided not to award it to anybody. <laughs> so the laureates have been writing in 25 different languages over time. So it's wow. not just like, not just English, not just yeah. Swedish, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, the youngest ever to receive the Nobel Prize in literature was Rudyard Kipling, who was 41 years old when he was awarded it in 1907 mm. and the oldest was Doris Lessing when she was 88 when wow. she got it in 2007. Um, two writers have actually declined the prize uh, Boris Pasternak in 1958 and Jean-Paul Sartre in 1964. That sounds right. That sounds right. But the most recent winner and that's in this whole episode I'm going to go over the most recent winner sure. of this mm -hmm. because if we talked about everybody that's ever won an, a freaking award. That'd be boring. It would be boring. And right? we're fun, but that would be boring. Yes. So I'm going to tell you about the most recent winner. Sometimes it's a 2020 award. Sometimes it's 2019. Sometimes it might be a little earlier than that. So oh, wow. Okay. We'll see. So anyway, the most recent winner in Nobel Prize for Literature, 2019. Peter Honke, who is a German novelist, playwright, and poet um, for an influential work with linguistic ingenuity that has explored the periphery and the specificity of human experience Ooh. is how they is how they declared it. So okay. Peter Hanke for 2019 was your most recent winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature. Good, good to know. All right, another big, big one is the Booker Prize for Fiction. Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. so this one is a literary prize awarded each year for the best original novel written in the English language and published in the United Kingdom. Mm. So the prize was originally established as the Booker McConnell Prize after the company Booker McConnell Limited began sponsoring the event in 1969, and it became commonly known as the Booker Prize or simply the Booker. In 2002, the title sponsor became the investment company Man Group, which opted to retain Booker as part of the title calling it the man booker prize from 2002 oh, to 2019 so you've right. heard that i'm sure yes um but the prize money awarded with the booker prize was originally about 21,000 pounds and subsequently raised to 50,000 pounds in 2002 under the sponsorship of the man group making it one of the world's richest literary prizes in 2019 a new sponsor Crankstart, announced it would sponsor the award for five years with the option to renew for another five so at that point they just changed the title to simply the booker prize 
prize because mm-hmm. the crank start prize. <laughs> yeah, no. Come I- on. <laughs> so <laughs> historically, the winner of the Booker Prize had been required to be a citizen of the Commonwealth of Nations, the Republic of Ireland or Zimbabwe. Oh. But it was announced in September 2013 that future Booker Prize awards would consider authors from anywhere in the world so long as their work was in English and published in the UK. Okay. That makes sense. So the winner is usually announced at a ceremony in London's Guildhall, usually in early October. Uh, in 1993, to mark the prize's 25th anniversary, a Booker of Booker prizes was oh, given. So three previous judges of the award um, met and they chose Salman Rushdie's Midnight Children, mm. uh, the 1981 winner, as the best novel out of all of the winners. Wow. And in 2018, to celebrate the 50th anniversary, the Golden Man Booker was awarded. <laughs> so one book from each decade was selected by a panel of judges. And the winner by popular vote was The English Patient, which is um, Michael Ondaatje's 1992 winner. Wow, that's a surprise. The English patient. The English patient. But the most recent winner, okay? In 2019, despite having been warned against doing so, the Foundation's jury split the prize, awarding it to two authors, which was in breach of a rule established in 1993. But it was awarded to both Margaret Atwood for The Testaments Mm. and Bernardine Evaristo's Girl, Woman, Other. Okay. Sounds like a cop-out, but (laughs) who am I? I'm not on the panel. It's two women... Getting the award. Yeah. Margaret Atwood. She's a great author. I haven't read the other one, but it sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Next big one. And this one is more of like a general term. Like there's many different categories of this award. Okay. Um, But we'll talk specifically about a couple. So the Pulitzer Prize. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's an award for achievements in newspaper, magazine, and online journalism, as well as literature and musical composition in the United States. Mm -hmm. It was established in 1917 by provisions in the will of Joseph Pulitzer, who had made his fortune as a newspaper publisher. And the award is administered by Columbia University in New York City. Prizes are awarded yearly in 21 categories. Um, And in 20 of the categories, the winner receives a certificate and a $15,000 cash award. Uh, The winner in the public service category of the journalism competition just gets a gold medal, which feels kind of sad because it's like the public service person doesn't even get (laughs) any money. Okay. If nothing else, they're the ones who should be getting the money. (laughs) So um, the Pulitzer Prize does not automatically consider all applicable works in the media, but only those that have been specifically entered for the prize. Mm, So there is a $75 entry fee for each desired entry category, though. Entries must fit in at least one of the specific prize categories, and anyone whose work has been submitted is called an entrant. So the jury selects a group of nominated finalists and announces them together with the winner for each category. Specifically for literature, there are six categories in letters and drama. So there's fiction, drama, history, biography or autobiography, poetry, and general nonfiction. For fiction specifically, though, um, three winners have won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction multiple times. Booth Tarkington in 1919 Mm. and 1922, William Faulkner in 1955 and 63, and John Updike in 1982 and 1991. Uh, The most recent winner for fiction is... um, 2019 Richard Powers with The Overstory. So that novel is about nine Americans whose unique life experiences with trees bring them together to address the destruction of forests. Congratulations, Richard Powers. Here's your $15,000 and your Pulitzer Prize for fiction. 2019. 2019. Great. All right. 
This one I had never heard of before, but apparently it's a big deal. The Newstat International Prize for Literature. No, I've never heard of that either. Okay. So this is a biennial award for literature sponsored by the University of Oklahoma and its international literary publication, World Literature Today. The prize is sometimes referred to as the American Nobel. Since it was founded in 1970, around 30 of its laureates, candidates, or jurors have also been awarded Nobel Prizes. And like the Nobel, it is awarded to individuals for their entire body of work. It is the first international literary award of this scope to originate in the United States and is one of the very few international prizes for which poets, novelists, and playwrights are equally eligible. The prize is a silver eagle feather, a certificate, and $50,000. Ooh, that's not nothing. Yeah. So it's endowed by Walter and Doris Neustadt to ensure the award in perpetuity. And the most recent winner for 2020 is the author Ismail Kadare from Albania. Oh, hey. Good for what him. The Neustadt International Prize for Literature. Never heard of it. That's a nope. lot of money, too. Good for them. Yeah. Um, but going back to some you probably have heard of. Okay. The Newbery Medal. Oh, sure. Right? Of course. So the John Newbery Medal is given by the Association for Library Service to Children. That's also abbreviated as the ALC. SC, which is a division of the American Library Association, the mm-hmm. ALA. It's given to the author of the most distinguished contribution to American literature for children. So the Newbery was proposed by Frederick G. Melcher in 1921, making it the first children's book award in the world. It's named for John Newbery, an 18th century English publisher of juvenile books. The winner of the Newbery is selected at ALA's Midwinter Conference by a 15-person committee. To be eligible, a book must be written by a United States citizen or resident and must be published first or simultaneously in the United States in English during the preceding year. Um, the winner gets a physical medal. There's no dollars involved oh, in this. Oh, come on. The ALA doesn't have any money. The physical medal depicts um, an author giving his work, a book, to a boy and girl to read on one side of the medal. Yeah. The most recent winner for 2020 was Jerry Craft for New Kid. Um, it's a graphic novel about starting over at a new school where diversity is low and the struggle to fit in is real. It looks it looks very charming. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Uh, Kind of related, the Caldecott Medal. So some people might confuse these two. So the Randolph Caldecott Medal annually recognizes the preceding year's most distinguished American picture book for children, beginning with publications from 1937. So it's awarded to the illustrator by the ALSC, which is, again, a division of the ALA. The award is named for Randolph Caldecott, a 19th century English illustrator. The front of the medal is derived from Randolph Caldecott's front cover illustration for a book called The Diverting History of John Gilpin. Oh, oh. Very exciting. <laughs> that was published in 1878. Um, it's an edition of this 1782 poem by William Cowper. It depicts Gilpin astride a runaway horse. The reverse is based on four and 20 blackbirds baked in a pie. One of Caldecott's illustrations for the nursery rhyme Sing a Song of Sixpence. So each illustrator that wins the Caldecott receives a bronze copy of the medal. Again, no money. Mm. To be eligible for the Caldecott, the artist must be a U.S. citizen or resident, and the book must have been published in English in the United States first or again simultaneously with other countries. Picture books for any audience up to age 14 may be considered. So the most recent winner for 2020, illustrator Kadir Nelson for The Undefeated, which was written by Kwame Alexander. It's a love letter to the black life in the United States, highlighting the unspeakable trauma of slavery, the faith and fire of the civil rights movement, and the grit, passion, and perseverance of some of the world's greatest heroes. Wow. Yeah. That's great. It's, it's great. Yes. So um, Newberry is for the is for the best children's book, and mm-hmm. the Caldecott is for illustration or Specific picture books. books. Yes. Okay. 
Um, also presented by the ALA is the Coretta Scott King Award. Yes. So this is presented by the Ethnic and Multicultural Information Exchange Roundtable, part of the ALA. It recognizes outstanding books for young adults and children by African Americans that reflect the African American experience. Awards are given both to authors and to illustrators. And winners receive a plaque and a thousand dollars. Oh, good. Yeah. That's not bad. So the plaque um, has a seal on it that's a circle with an African American child reading a book with a superimposed pyramid and a dove and five non sectarian religious symbols. There's wow. a star and a crescent, an om, a Latin cross, a star of David, and a Tao. And they managed to cram Fit that all, all right into that symbol. <laughs> um, and the most recent winner for 2020 was also Jerry Craft for New Kid, who oh, also wow. had won the Newberry for that year, too. That's so awesome. And the uh, this one you might not know of by this by its current name, Ooh. the Children's Literature Legacy Award, mm. because up until 2018 it was called the Laura Ingalls Wilder Medal. Oh yeah. So again, presented by the ALSC division of the ALA to writers or illustrators of children's books published in the United States over a period of years have made substantial and lasting contributions to children's literature. It was originally named after its first winner, Laura Ingalls Wilder. But in February 2018, they announced a task force which re-examined the naming of the award and included representation from the American Indian Library Association. The task force was convened because of criticism of Wilder's depictions of Native and African Americans, and a recommendation to rename the award was made in June 2018. The board found Wilder's body of work includes, quote, expressions of stereotypical attitudes inconsistent with ALSC's core values of inclusiveness, integrity, and respect and responsiveness. Uh, the award's name was officially changed then to the Children's Literature Legacy Award. Recipients get an award. No money. That's it. Good job. Uh, <laughs> the most recent winner for 2020 is um, Kevin Hankus, who is the author of novels, children's books, and books with cartoon mice, such Aww. as um, Sheila Ray the Brave, Chrysanthemum, Lily's Purple Plastic Purse. You like you might recognize oh, yeah. you might recognize the covers of some of them. They're but. very sweet. Mm-hmm. So moving back to adult literature. Okay. The National Book Awards. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's a set of annual U.S. literary awards in five categories. Fiction, nonfiction, poetry, translated literature, and young people's literature. So the nonprofit National Book Foundation was established in 1988 to administer and enhance the National Book Awards and move beyond into the fields of education and literacy, primarily by sponsoring public appearances by writers. So its mission is to celebrate the best literature in America, expand its audience, and ensure that books have a prominent place in American culture. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so each panel considers hundreds of books each year in each of the five categories. Currently, a book must be published between December 1st of the previous year and November 30th of the current year. Its publisher must complete a nomination in the spring and mail copies to the panelists. So then the panelists read all of the valid nominees and the panels compile shortlists in September. At the National Book Award Ceremony and Dinner held in New York City each November, the chair of each judging panel announces the winners of the year's National Book Awards. All finalists receive $1,000, a medal, and a citation written by the judging panel. That's just for finalists. You get $1,000 if you're a finalist. Oh, wow. That's the nice. The winners get $10,000 and a bronze sculpture. Sculpture? That's nice. They also present two Lifetime Achievement Awards each year, the Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters and the Literarian Award for Outstanding Service to the American Literary Community. So the most recent winners for the five categories that they have, um, for fiction, 2019, Susan Choi for Trust Exercise, nonfiction, 2019, Sarah M. Broom for The Yellow House, poetry, 2019, Arthur Z for Sightlines. Um, his, his last name is um, S-Z-E. 
Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. For translated literature for 2019, Baron Wenkheim's Homecoming by Laszlo Krasna Horky, translated from the Hungarian by Otili Molzit. Mm-hmm. Um, my Hungarian is, it's is all right. just abysmal. So apologies to Laszlo K. <laughs> um, and then for young people's literature for 2019, Martin W. Sandler for 1919, the year that changed America. Cool. So $10,000 each of them. That's not bad. The Penn Faulkner Award. It's awarded annually by the Penn Faulkner Foundation to the authors of the year's best works of fiction by living American citizens. The winner receives $15,000 and each of the four runners up gets $5,000. So finalists read from their works at the presentation ceremony in the Great Hall of the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C. The organization claims it to be the largest peer juried award in the country. So Penn, the Penn Foundation, Penn stands for Poets, Essayists, and Novelists. Oh, okay. The Penn Faulkner Award came about basically as a spinoff um, when members were upset about the winner of a certain National Book Award in 1979. So they kind of created their own award um, and own foundation. So finalists read from their works at the presentation hall there at the Folger. And um, the Folger is also the home of the Penn Faulkner Foundation. Nice. The most recent winner for 2019, Azarine Vandervlet Ulumi for Call Me Zebra. Okay. I've never heard of that book. Neither have I. But it is apparently the best work of fiction by a living American citizen for the year 2019. Fantastic. Great. Um, the Penn Hemingway Award is mm-hmm. awarded annually by Penn America to a full-length novel or book of short stories by an American author who has not previously published a full-length book of fiction. So the winner um, is selected by a panel of three fiction writers and receives $25,000. That's pretty good. Along with the winner, two finalists and two runners-up receive a U-Cross residency fellowship at the U-Cross Foundation, a retreat for artists and writers in Wyoming. The award ceremony is held at the JFK Presidential Library and Museum in Boston, Massachusetts. The most recent winner, um, 2019 Tommy Orange for There There. Got the Penn Hemingway Award. The Thurber Prize for American Humor is named after American humorist James Thurber. It um, recognizes outstanding contributions in humor writing. It was first awarded in 1997, then sort of irregularly, but since 2004 has been an annual prize. And in 2015, the three finalists were all women. Nice. The winner receives $5,000 in a commemorative plaque. And the most recent winner for 2019 was Simon Rich for Hits and Misses. Um, so this is the, the again, the, the Thurber Prize for American Humor. This is different than the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor yes. because that's not literary. Yeah. Um, that prize specifically is presented to individuals who have had an impact on American society in ways similar to Mark Twain. So so the Mark Twain prize is kind of like comedy, your whole body of work, TV, movies, whatever. Mm -hmm. The James Thurber prize for American humor is specifically for literature, humor writing. A really fun one, the Lambda Literary Awards. Also known as the Lammies. Lammies? The Lammies. They're awarded yearly by the U.S.-based Lambda Literary Foundation to publish works which celebrate or explore LGBT themes. Categories include humor, romance and biography, and lots of other subdivisions there. So to qualify, a book must have been published in the United States in the year current to the award. And Mm. currently there are 22 awards. So I'm just going to talk about some noteworthy winners. Sure. Um, Alison Bechdel has won four awards in the humor category, which was the most by any single author, although the humor category has since been discontinued. (gasps) Um, Bechdel's 2006 memoir, Fun Home, which won the 2007 Lesbian Memoir Award, was adapted into the 2013 musical. So other notable Lambda award-winning works that have been adapted for film and television include 
Tony Kushner's 1993 play Angels in America. Wonderful. It won both the 1994 and 1995 Drama Award for the Lammies. It was adapted into the 2003 HBO miniseries starring Al Pacino and Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. John Barrett's 1994 novel Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which won the 1995 Gay Mystery Award, was adapted into the 1997 film starring Kevin Spacey and John Cusack. Mm -hmm. John Cameron Mitchell and Stephen Trask's 1998 off-Broadway play Hedwig and the Angry Inch won the 2001 Drama Award and was adapted into a 2001 film. And also in 2014, that show saw its first official run on Broadway, opening at the Belasco Theater and winning the year's Tony Award for Best Revival of a Musical. David Ebershoff's 2000 book, The Danish Girl, won the 2001 Transgender Award and was adapted into a 2015 film starring Eddie Redmayne and Alicia Vikander. Uh, Vikander subsequently won several awards for her role, including the Best Supporting Actress Oscar at the 88th Academy Awards, in addition to many others. Mm-hmm. And then Andre Asaman's Call Me By Your Name, which won the 2008 Gay Fiction Award, was adapted into that award-winning 2017 film starring Timothée Chalamet and Armie Hammer. Um, it received critical acclaim in more than 200 award nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best adapted screenplay and best original song at the 90th academy awards so the the lambda literary awards they're making an impact very impactful yeah Yeah, a lot of influence there um moving along the robert frost medal robert can you guess can you guess what what genre we're looking at poetry yes yes (laughs) so It's an award of the Poetry Society of America for distinguishing lifetime service to American poetry. Medalists receive a prize purse of $5,000. Robert Frost was actually the fourth recipient of the Frost Medal. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) They named it after him and they didn't even give it to him? (laughs) I like that. Yeah, he was the fourth recipient of the Frost Medal in 1941 after retiring from Amherst College. Um, The most recent winner in 2019 was Eleanor Rand Wilner, who is a former editor of the American Poetry Review. Speaking of poetry, the United States Poet Laureate. Oh, yeah. Uh Which isn't necessarily a prize, but I thought it was important to talk about here. Sure. So the full title is the Poet Laureate Consultant in Poetry to the Library of Congress. Mm. They serve as the official poet of the United States. During their term, the Poet Laureate seeks to raise the national consciousness to a greater appreciation of the reading and writing of poetry. The position was modeled on the Poet Laureate of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And the Poet Laureate Consultant in Poetry is appointed annually by the Librarian of Congress. Over the course of a one-year term, which lasts from September to May, the U.S. Poet Laureate presents a reading and lecture at the Library of Congress and engages in a community-oriented poetry project with national reach. And the Laureate currently receives a $35,000 annual stipend. The current Poet Laureate for the United States 2019 is Joy Harjo, who is the first Native American poet to serve in the position. Mm-hmm. She's from Oklahoma and is a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation. And she's written, she's had a, like a really great body of work. She's also like a singer. She's Oh, yes, she's I have heard of this. Yes. Because I think there was like some YouTube links that were going around about her career and yeah. her poetry and her songwriting and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. she's, she's amazing. Cool. Joy Harjo. Um, and the United Kingdom Poet Laureate. So that... That title is really interesting. It was first granted in England in the 17th century for poetic excellence. The post has become free of specific poetic duties, but its holder remains a salaried member of the British royal household. What? The UK's first poet laureate was John Dryden, who was given the title by King Charles II in 1668. Previous poet laureates who initially served until their death until there was a rule change in 1999, included William Wordsworth, John Betjeman, and Ted Hughes. Mm. Since then, they've served in 10-year fixed appointments. 
um, Dryden, who was the first one, his original salary for the laureate ship was 200 pounds per year. And, and Charles the first also added an annual butt of canary wine Ooh, okay. to your, to, you know, to your salary, to your compensation. Um, though that was later discontinued in place of the monetary equivalent. But in the early 20th century, they brought back the tradition and the poet laureate, uh, uh, in addition to their salary, received 720 bottles of sherry. <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I coughed into the microphone because I was so shocked by that. <laughs> Can you imagine? Congratulations, you won the prize, and then you'd like and then open it, out beep, your door, and there's a beep, big crate, beep. yeah, just being backed up to your house Seven. with 720 bottles of sherry. How could you possibly drink that in the 10 years? That's a lifetime supply of sherry, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right? That's several lifetimes of sherry. You can only sherry. drink a little bit of sherry like at a time. a tablespoon and a half. Jeez. <laughs> the British, they love their sherry. They love it. The current poet laureate um, as of 2019 is Simon Armitage. Um, And a fun fact about him, quote, Armitage is the first poet laureate who is also a DJ. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) they're having fun. What? Okay. (laughs) They're having fun. Also a DJ. (laughs) Great. Speaking of British people, mm. uh, the Agatha Awards. Oh, yeah, of course. And you know what category that's for. That's for cozy murder mystery. Yes. So <laughs> exactly. Specifically for mystery and crime writers who write in the cozy mystery subgenre. Yep. So the Agatha Awards are handed out at Malice Domestic, which is an annual convention in Washington, D.C., which celebrates the traditional mystery and loosely identifies this genre as mysteries with no explicit sex, excessive gore, or violence. Mm-hmm. There are six categories of awards. Um, additionally, in some years, the Poirot Award, sorry, Additionally, in some years, the Poirot Award <laughs> is presented to honor individuals other than writers who've made outstanding contributions to the mystery genre, though that's not an annual event. Mm. Malice Domestic takes place this year in April to May 2020, and it will give awards to its 2019 nominees then. Oh, okay. So the current most recent winners as of today include the best first novel is um, from 2018, a tie between Diane Freeman for A Lady's Guide to Etiquette and Murder and Sherry Randall's Curses Boiled Again. <laughs> the best contemporary novel for 2018 was Ellen Byron's Mardi Gras Murder. The best historical novel is from 2018, Sujata Masi's The Widows of Malabar Hill. And again, for more on the namesake of this award, you got to check out episode 128, Mystery Woman, Agatha Christie. It's very good. (laughs) Um, Related, the Edgar Allan Poe Awards are also for mystery. Uh, They're commonly called the Edgars, and they are presented every year by the Mystery Writers of America. They're named after American writer Edgar Allan Poe, Mm -hmm. and the awards honor the best in mystery fiction, nonfiction, television, film, and theater published or produced in the previous year. Um, So among the most recent winners um, for Best Novel for 2019 was Walter Mosley's Down the River Unto the Sea. And Best First Novel by an American author for 2019 was James A. McLaughlin's Bearskin. Mm. Continuing in the mystery realm, the McCavity Awards. Um, They're a literary award for mystery writers, which are nominated and voted upon annually by members of the Mystery Readers International, the largest mystery fan and reader organization in the world. Oh, okay. It's open to all readers, fans, critics, editors, publishers, and writers. The McCavity Award is given in four categories, uh, best novel, best first novel, best nonfiction, and best short story. And the award is named for the mystery cat of T.S. Eliot's Old Possum's Oh, I 
was really hoping that wasn't it. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so among the most recent winners for best novel for 2019 was Lou Burney for November Road. The Hugo Award. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's an annual literary award for the best science fiction or fantasy works and achievements of the previous year given at the World Science Fiction Convention and chosen by its members. It's named after Hugo Gernsback, the founder of the pioneering science fiction magazine Amazing Stories. Oh, I didn't It is that. not named after Victor Hugo or a character from anything. It's named after this guy who founded the sci-fi magazine Amazing Stories. So Hugos were first given in 1953 at the 11th World Science Fiction Convention and have been awarded every year since 1955. As of 2019, the award is conferred in 17 categories of written and dramatic works. So most recent winners include for best novel for 2019 was Mary Robinette Cole for The Calculating Stars. The best series for 2019, Becky Chambers, Wayfarers. Best short story for 2019 was Alex E. Harrow's A Witch's Guide to Escape, a practical compendium of portal fantasies, as published in Apex Magazine in February 2018. So yeah, it's um, you'll see a lot of like these winners for for short stories in a lot of these categories mm-hmm. were actually like published in magazines, which oh, is kind of cool. fun to see them still be relevant. Mm-hmm. The Bram Stoker Award. It's a recognition presented annually by the Horror Writers Association for Superior Achievement in Dark Fantasy and Horror Writing. It's been given since 1988. Named after Irish horror writer Bram Stoker, the award itself is an eight-inch replica of a fanciful haunted house designed specifically for the Horror Writers of America by sculptor Stephen Kirk. The door of the house opens to reveal a brass plaque engraved with the name of the winning work and author it's a funky looking <laughs> That's statue really yeah. funny i love that so there's currently 11 categories of this award um as of 2019 stephen king holds the record for the most nominations with 33 and wins with 13 what a surprise well yeah um most recent winners include um for superior achievement in a novel 2018 paul tremblay's the cabin at the end of the world and for superior achievement in a first novel for 2018 gwendolyn kissed's the rust maidens Ooh. horror that's, that's kind of a cool title i really like yeah. that uh if you heard of the hammett prize I have not. I don't think. So that's awarded annually by the International Association of Crime Writers, the North American branch, to a Canadian or U.S. citizen or permanent resident for a book in English in the field of crime writing. It is named after crime writer Dashiell Hammett, and the winner receives a bronze statuette by artist Peter Boyger, inspired by a famous photograph of Dashiell Hammett. Um, So there's, again, there's several categories. So the most recent winner for 2018, again, was Lou Burney for November Road, who also won another prize that I just mentioned. He won the McCavity Award for Best Novel for 2019. Have you heard of the Spur Awards? The Spur? Yeah, we're starting to get, we're starting to get niche. Yeah, I'm assuming this is for a Western. Sure is, Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) The Spur Awards are literary prizes awarded annually by the Western Writers of America. I didn't know there was... Established in 1953. I didn't know they were still around. The purpose of the Spur Awards is to honor writers for distinguished writing about the American West. They started off with five categories, and by 2019, they've expanded to 18 categories. I didn't know there were that many subcategories of Western... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> most recent winners include um for best western historical novel for 2019 gk alborg's river of porcupines no and the best western contemporary novel for 2019 was susan henderson's the flicker of old dreams Ooh. so okay don't worry everybody <laughs> the spur awards the spur are awards are still alive and kicking yeah no kidding wow 
And uh, the Rita Awards. Is this for romance? It is for yes. romance. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Rita Award is the most prominent award for English language romance fiction. It's presented by the Romance Writers of America and named for the RWA's first president, Rita Clay Estrada. And there are currently 13 categories. There is some recent controversy, though. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's how I know about yeah. this. <laughs> so the Rita Awards, like the English-speaking romance fiction industry overall, they are overwhelmingly dominated by white authors. This caused some controversy in 2018 when Alyssa Cole's An Extraordinary Union, a novel about interracial romance during the American Civil War, made zero appearances in the Rita Awards finalist lists, despite winning multiple other awards. Mm. So in response, the RWA board noted that less than half of 1% of finalists were by black authors, of which none had ever won the award, and expressed a commitment to improve the diversity of the award. The board issued an apology after the 2019 finalists again did not include any persons of color or LGBTQ persons. RWA canceled the 2020 Rita Awards after several contestants and judges withdrew due to diversity concerns. Yeah. And the group announced that the 2021 awards will honor both 2019 and 2020 publications. So they are taking a time off to reflect and maybe work on what they can do to increase... (laughs) diversity in the in the you know the the nominees and the finalists because there are certainly women of color and all different you know all different preferences yeah. out there writing these types of books and the 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 founder of the rwa was a black woman rita was a black woman like <laughs> it's crazy and also i don't know if you know this but i used to work at a little bookstore that we'll call schmarns and bobel and the romance section is huge and a very large subcategory was black romance. Sure. There's a ton of it. People love it. People buy it and read it. The fact that there isn't any awards with women of color or people of color. Yeah. Winning any of these awards for the RWA is like completely insane. Right. Not to mention the LGBTQ. I mean, that's, that's also like a huge category. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't necessarily have to have been published with like 100,000 copies sold or exactly. whatever. It can be a self-published thing. It can yep. be a Kindle. It could be like yep. a... It just has to have like five, at least 5,000 words or something like yeah. tiny like that. Yeah. And have, has to have been like published or self-published within the past year. Like exactly. the, the... What's the really for? <laughs> The criteria. The criteria is like almost nothing. So mm-hmm. clearly there's been some exclusionary tactics being used. Yes. So, so the most recent winners include um, for 2019, the best first book winner was Marie Tremaine for Lady in Waiting. And you oh. can just picture that cover oh, right now. I see it. Absolutely. She's wearing white. And then for contemporary romance for 2019, um, they they broke it up into uh, long, mid-length, and short Okay. So the long contemporary romance winner was Kennedy Ryan's Long Shot. The mid-length winner was Susanna Nix for Advanced Physical Chemistry. <laughs> and the short winner was Terry Wilson for The Bachelor's Baby Surprise. <laughs> the Bachelor's Baby Surprise. I love these. Oh, they so are funny. great titles. Oh, um, my God. Lauren and I at one point toyed around with writing our own um, erotic fiction. Um, we got pretty far. We got at least like two chapters in. <laughs> <laughs> and it was called An Eligible Receiver. And it was all about a sports agent named named EJ. Yeah, EJ. Who um, falls in love with Aaron. Falls in love with Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> yes. And it's rife with football, like metaphor, metaphor, oh, and, and yeah. innuendo. 
It was we excellent. might come back to it. Yeah, we'll come back to it. You let us know if you'd read that. <laughs> it's on a Google Doc. It's pretty good. <laughs> and then we're going to wrap this up with some not so prestigious literary awards. Please. Okay, the Diagram Prize. So its full title is the Bookseller Diagram Prize for Oddest Title of the Year. Ooh, I love that. It's a humorous literary award that's given annually to a book with a terrible title. (laughs) The prize is named after the Diagram Group, which is an information and graphics company out of London, and the Bookseller, a British trade magazine for the publishing industry. The prize is either a magnum of champagne or a bottle of claret for the person who nominates the winning title. Oh, okay. Um, And it just gives like increased publicity to the book and its author so they don't get anything for writing the oddest title um so the most recent winner for 2019 was charles l dobbins's book the dirt hole and its variations no Uh, this is so bad and i'm going to tell you some other titles that have that have won that i love 2012 goblin proofing one's chicken coop no by reginald bakley 2010 managing a dental practice the genghis conway (laughs) By Michael R. Young. 2006, The Stray Shopping Carts of Eastern North America, A Guide to Field Identification by Julian Montague. I remember that book. I shelved that book. (laughs) It's a real thing. (laughs) Yeah, these are all real things. Oh, yeah, yeah. 1992, How to Avoid Huge Ships (laughs) by John W. Trimmer. (laughs) I love that. How do you avoid it? (laughs) You 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 need to read a book about it. Uh, 1984, The Book of Marmalade, Its Antecedents, Its History, and Its Role in the World Today by Ann Wilson. Just a real thick book all about about marmalade, Mm. everybody's favorite condiment. (laughs) And 2018 uh, by Thomas Gottsd van Ost, The Joy of Water Boiling. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love it. All right. Uh, The Bad Sex in Fiction Award. Ooh. Since 1993, the Bad Sex and Fiction Award from the Literary Review has honored the year's most outstandingly awful scene of sexual description in an otherwise good novel, drawing attention to the poorly written, redundant, or downright cringeworthy passages of sexual description in modern fiction. The prize is not intended to cover pornographic or expressly erotic literature. In 2019, uh, there was a tie. Wow! Between Didier Decoyne for the Office of Gardens and Ponds, um, your safe for work excerpt includes quote. Mayuki felt as though she was manipulating a small monkey that was curling up its paws. And I'm just going to leave that to your imagination. (laughs) And uh, John Harvey for the book Pax, quote, she was burning hot and the heat was in him. Her eyes were ravenous. Like his own, they were fire and desire. More than torrid, more than tropical, they too were riding the equator. No. <laughs> Other notable winners like 2018 James Fry oh. won for the book Katerina. Uh for 2015 Morrissey won for List of the Lost. That doesn't surprise me. And in tw- 2004 Tom Wolfe won for I Am Charlotte Simmons, which is I you read is that. one of my least favorite books that I've ever read in my life. Notice how all these are men. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, there it is. That's true. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it's funny to, to bring this up because you keep seeing like on Twitter every so often somebody will yeah. pop up like men writing women in, yeah, in, in fiction, fiction and mm-hmm. it's just like she boobed her way boobily into <laughs> yeah. the room. She breasted boobily down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, the Bulwer Light in Fiction Contest. So this is something... This is something we could win. Ooh, all right. okay. All right, all right. 
right. So the Bulwer Light and Fiction Contest is held annually and sponsored by the English Department of San Jose State University. Entrants are invited to compose the opening sentence to the worst of all possible novels. So it is supposed to be deliberately bad. Uh, mm-hmm. The contest was started in 1982 by Professor Scott E. Rice of the English Department there and is named for the English novelist and playwright Edward George Bulwer Lighton, who's the author of the much quoted first line, It Was a Dark and Stormy Night, mm-hmm. which as a reminder, is from the 1830 novel Paul Clifford. So the most recent grand prize winner for 2019, Maxwell Archer from Mount Pleasant, Ontario, Canada, wrote, quote, Space Fleet Commander Brad Brad sat in silence, surrounded by a slowly dissipating cloud of smoke, maintaining the same forlorn frown that had been fixed upon his face since he'd accidentally destroyed the phenomenon known as time 13 inches ago. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> That's very good. And they also have, so that was like the grand prize winner. They also have like sub, they also have like different genre ones that you can sign up for. So yeah. the official deadline for submission is April 15th, but their actual, de- they say the official deadline is April 15th, but the actual deadline is June 30th because, <laughs> you know, this is a crazy contest. Yeah. So you can just enter on their website, which is bulwer-lighten.com slash submit. So you know, go to town, everybody. Yeah. Take some time. You got, you have some months. Yeah. Pull together the worst possible sentence <laughs> to start a book with. Exactly. And uh, you could, you could uh, become, you know, enshrined in the halls of, of fortune and fame with the Bulwer Light and Fiction Contest. That's a great. And if you have, if you've ever submitted one, let us know. Oh, We'd yeah. love to hear it. And if you're planning on submitting one this year too, please let us know. Yeah. We, I think we're going to submit. We're going to come up with Oh, something. yeah, we'll come up with something yeah. for sure. And you can enter as many times as you want. Oh, geez. So it doesn't well, have to be like your very best terrible opening line. It could be five or six of your, you know, most creative. <laughs> Get yourself a bottle of wine. Yeah. Sit down. Oh, that'll be easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. That's great. Literary awards and prizes, everybody. Love it. Thank you, Julia. You're welcome. All right. So for today's quiz. Okay. The quiz is called, And the First Runner-Up... It's a quiz on famous second place finishers. Oh, geez. Okay. Question one. Watched by an estimated 90 million people worldwide, the Battle of the Sexes was a famous, not fixed, tennis match played on September 20th, 1973 between 29-year-old Billie Jean King and which male tennis player? King won handily in three sets against this older dude who had declared that females were inferior. Question two. In 1896, this Nebraska politician was offered up as the Democratic nominee, also the youngest major party presidential nominee in U.S. history. Well, that one didn't take, nor did his party nominations in 1900 or 1908, making what statesman and creationist a three-time loser on the election ballot? Question three. Even if you're not a horse racing aficionado, you've at least heard of Seabiscuit, an underdog thoroughbred racehorse who has inspired numerous books and films. In the match of the century on November 1st, 1938, Seabiscuit went on to beat what commanding American Triple Crown winning racehorse? On land, not water. Question four. I'm not trying to commit blasphemy here, but there is one major accolade where Beyonce actually falls to second place. The list of most awarded female artists in Grammy history. Beyonce has 24 Grammy Awards, which is three behind which bluegrass musician whose backing band sounds like a major transportation hub? Question five. Not going anywhere for a while? What football team starred in a 1996 Snickers commercial in which Coach Marv Levy said, 
Guys, I've said this four years in a row, but this year we're not only going back to the big game, we're gonna win it. Question six. He walked on your face, Moon, but history will remember him as only the second guy to get to do so. Who is this former astronaut, fighter pilot, and true love of Margaret Lemon? Question seven. Steve Harvey done goofed in 2015 when hosting the Miss Universe pageant on a live telecast. Think back and name for me the two countries that were, in correct order, actually the winner and first runner-up. Question eight. For five straight World Series appearances from 1941 to 1953, these boys of summer fell to the New York Yankees, but they finally beat the Yanks for the title in 1955 before subsequently moving cross-country to their current location under a new, though still artful, name. Name the baseball team who played their final game at Ebbets Field on September 24, 1957. Question 9. Ed McMahon hosted Star Search was the OG TV talent show running from 1983 to 1995. I'll name you four now famous recording artists and you tell me if they ever appeared as a contestant and lost on Star Search. First, Justin Timberlake. Second, Christina Aguilera. Third, Biz Markey. And four, Mr. Worldwide, aka Pitbull. And finally, question 10. Season four of RuPaul's Drag Race was the first time in the show's history that named two runners-up. Sharon Needles won the season, but name for me the runners-up. I will have a clue for people who aren't Lauren. I'll give you about a minute to think, and then we'll be back with your answers. Oh my God, that last question. I'm going to, Carmela's going to be so mad at me. <laughs> It'll come to me. It'll I mean, come to yeah. Me. I can also give you the clue, but I don't want to. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. I think. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> I realize this is a little sports heavy, but. It's all right. Yeah. I think, I think I know s- some of them. Yeah. <laughs> question one. Watched by an estimated 90 million people worldwide, the Battle of the Sexes was a famous, not fixed, tennis match played on September 20th, 1973 between 29-year-old Billie Jean King and what male tennis player? King won handily in three sets against this older dude who declared that females were inferior. He was played by Steve Carell in the movie, and I watched like a whole like short doc about it, and I cannot remember his name. I think the clue the clue was not fixed. Uh, not fixed, but um, legit. David R. Legit, <laughs> famous tennis player David R. Legit. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, 
His name is Bobby Riggs. Bobby Riggs. Damn it. So he was the world number one or co-number one for three years and was one of the top players in the 1940s. And after retiring from his pro career in 1959, he established himself as a hustler Mm -hmm. and basically organized numerous exhibition challenges. So in 1973, Riggs actually first challenged um, King, but she declined. So he played Margaret Court, um, who actually lost six to two and six to one against him. So then at that point, Riggs was basically like taunting all female tennis players after that win. And so King accepted the offer to play him in a primetime match on ABC with a winner take all prize of $100,000. Um, the, the theatrics of this were wild, by the way, yeah. if you haven't seen the documentary or anything about this. So it was held at the Houston Astrodome in front of more than 30,000 people. Billie Jean King entered the court in the style of Cleopatra on a feather adorned litter carried by four bare chested muscle men. Mm-hmm. Riggs followed in a rickshaw drawn by models. Uh, oh Riggs God. presented King with a giant sugar daddy lollipop and she responded by giving him a squealing piglet as a symbol of male chauvinism. Riggs alone earned $50,000 for that by just wearing a yellow sugar daddy jacket where, during the match. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> It's crazy. It's out of control. It's out of control. But Billie Jean King won Mm -hmm. against Bobby Riggs. Question two. In 1896, this Nebraska politician was offered up as the Democratic nominee, also the youngest major party presidential nominee in U.S. history. Well, that one didn't take, nor did his party nominations in 1900 or 1908, making what statesman and creationist a three-time loser on the election ballot? Is this your boy? Your loser boy? (sighs) It's I can't remember his name. Oh, Lauren. I'm so sorry. Oh, Lauren. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Um, she's clutching at her face. I'm clutching at my face. What's his name? Brian William Jennings Bryant. Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> William Jennings Bryant. In his three presidential election bids, Bryan received a total of 493 electoral votes, the most of any candidate in American history who never won the presidency. For more information, check out episode 52, Brian, 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 Brian. All right, question three. Even if you're not a horse racing aficionado, you've at least heard of Seabiscuit, an underdog thoroughbred racehorse who has inspired numerous books and films. In the match of the century on November 1st, 1938, Seabiscuit went on to beat what commanding American triple crown winning racehorse on land, not water? Is it um, Man of War? Very close. Ooh, shoot. Is it? Man of War is his dad. Ooh, uh, Boy of War. <laughs> <laughs> For a second, I thought you were going to take off your headphones and just walk away. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, Navy, old naval, old naval if, horse. Uh, <laughs> ship, ships ahoy. I mean, like you're dancing around. I it. know. Uh, uh, sails. <laughs> trying to think of all sorts of of naval things um ahoy matey these are all great horse names by right? the way i, I hope we're so. writing this um, down shiver me timbers the horse shiver me timbers the horse <laughs> the, the winner of the american triple crown in 1937 no uh the answer is war admiral war admiral mm-hmm. damn so okay. war admiral was the favorite he was a one to four favorite with most bookmakers and a nearly unanimous selection of everybody writing about it so war admiral and sea biscuit were in the same bloodline and actually rather closely related so a stallion named fair play sired manowar and manowar sired war admiral and hardtack hardtack was sea biscuit's father making sea biscuit 
were Admiral's nephew. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, so as a result of his races that year, Seabiscuit was named American Horse of the Year for 1938 and was the number one newsmaker of 1938. Wow. So... Question four. I'm not trying to commit blasphemy here, but there is one major accolade where Beyonce actually falls to second place. The list of most awarded female artists in Grammy history. Beyonce has 24 Grammy Awards, which is three behind which bluegrass musician whose backing band sounds like a major transportation hub? Um, I didn't realize this. It's Allison. Allison something and the something somethings. Allison. Ah, damn it. <laughs> My brain isn't working. Allison. Is it Allison? Mm-hmm. God, why can't I think of it? Uh, um, I'll give you the band name if that'll help you. Give me the band name. Union Station. Allison something in Union Station. Allison. Oh, just tell me what it is. Kraus. Kraus! Damn it! <laughs> oh, she's got a beautiful voice. A beautiful it's like a voice. Bell. As of 2019, Alison Krauss has won 27 Grammy Awards from 42 nominations, ranking her third behind only Quincy Jones and classical conductor Georg Solti for most Grammy Award wins. Wow. She is the most awarded singer and the most awarded female artist in Grammy history. Amazing. Krauss has had an active career from 1984 to the present, so she's had a few years head start on Queen Bee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for more on Beyonce, check out episode 121, The Bayhive. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question five. Okay. Not going anywhere for a while? What football team starred in a 1996 Snickers commercial in which Coach Marv Levy said, guys, I've said this four years in a row, but this year we're not only going back to the big game, we're going to win it. That's the Buffalo Bills. (laughs) And for more on the Buffalo Bills, stay tuned next week. Episode 135, Buffalo, Buffalo, (laughs) Buffalo, Buffalo. (laughs) Great. I won't ask for your opinion on this then. No, what? Right Tell now. me. No, I was just, I won't ask for your opinion about about the four-time Super Bowl losing I mean, bills. Now, we'll uh, talk about it Oh, later. we'll talk about it next week. Stay tuned, everybody. Do you remember the commercial? I don't. I don't think I've ever so, seen it. Yeah, like Marv Levy's there and all the guys, he says this line to them. And then he says, we're not going anywhere until we figure this out. So then they're all like... All just like looking, looking, around at, each looking other. at each other, and then they all reach into their bags and pull out another Snickers. Because I guess the bit is that, unfortunately, they're they not never gonna, they're not going to figure it out, <laughs> and they're still there today. Some of them skeletons, because <laughs> this Yikes. was like twenty five years ago. Oh, it's so sad. Oh. Question six: He walked on your face, Moon, but history will remember him as only the second guy to get to do so. Who is this former astronaut, fighter pilot, and true love of Margaret Lemon? That's our boy Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. Still alive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, By the way, this man spacewalked in orbit during the Gemini 12 mission in 1966, walked on the moon in 1969, traveled to the Titanic in 1996, went to the North Pole in 1998, and was the oldest person ever to visit the South Pole in 2016 at age 86. Oh my gosh. Buzz Aldrin, just crushing life. Crushing life. Um, For more on the moon missions, you can go all the way back to episode four, Project Apollo or Dads in Space, if you want to learn more about the moon missions. Yeah. It's very good. Question seven. Steve Harvey done goofed in 2015 when hosting the Miss Universe pageant on a live telecast. Think back and name for me the two countries that were, in correct order, actually the winner and first runner up that year of Miss Universe. Okay, so 
if I recall correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, because this is a quiz. <laughs> Were they both South American countries? No? No. Uh, was one Miss Columbia? One of them is Miss Columbia. One of them. So the runner up was Miss Columbia. Right? I'm waiting for your answer. Oh, geez. The runner up was Miss Columbia. Okay. And the winner was Miss. Uh, Miss. I'm just going to name a random country Kazakhstan. You think Kazakhstan sent someone to the I don't Miss know. Universe pageant? Um, the winner was Miss Philippines. Miss Philippines. Pia okay. Alonzo Wurzbach. And the runner up was Colombia. Okay. Uh, Miss Colombia was Ariadna Gutierrez. So um, Steve Harvey said, quote, I have to apologize before taking a long and awkward pause. Quote, the first runner up is Colombia. Miss Philippines, take your walk as Miss Universe. And then everybody excoriated him for the better part yeah. of a year. Yep. But then, like, the Oscars messed up. And, oh, yeah. You know, it, it, it went forgot. out. <laughs> people forgot. So, yeah, the, the actual winner was Philippines, and the first runner-up was Columbia. All right, question eight. For five straight World Series appearances from 1941 to 1953, these boys of summer fell to the New York Yankees, but they finally beat the Yanks for the title in 1955 before subsequently moving cross-country to their current location under a new, though still artful, name. Name the baseball team who played their final game at Ebbets Field on September 24th, 1957. That's the Brooklyn Dodgers. It sure is. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Uh, So the team is notable for signing Jackie Robinson in 1947 as the first black player in the modern major leagues. The Dodgers lost six of seven World Series to the Yankees from 1941 to 1956. Um, Previous team names for the Brooklyn Dodgers were the Grays, the Bridegrooms, the Robins, the Trolley Dodgers, and the Super Boss. Super what? Super Boss. One word. S-U-P-E-R-B-A-S. Super Boss. Super Boss. Okay. Yeah, that's my. I was like looking up the origin of that, and apparently there was like a play or an opera or something to that effect that was, um, that was called uh, Superba. Oh, okay. And um, the author or the playwright's last name was the same as one of the players on the team. I see. And so they started nicknaming him that Superba, and then they started calling the team the Superbaz. I see. So that's where that came from, y'all. If you see that, they're talking about the Dodgers. Great. All right, question nine. Ed McMahon hosted Star Search was the OG TV talent show running from 1983 to 1995. I'll name you four now famous recording artists and you tell me if they ever appeared as a contestant on and lost on Star Search. Great. I'm not, this isn't any trick questions. It's either they were on and they lost or they were never on. I'm not like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first, Justin Timberlake. Yes, he was on. Yes, he was. He appeared as Justin Randall in 1992 and he sang a country music song and he had like a cowboy hat yep. on and he did not win. All right. Second, Christina Aguilera. Uh, I'm going to say yes. Yes. She appeared in 1990 and sang Etta James's A Sunday Kind of Love. Third, Biz Marquee. I'm going to say no. No. And four, Pitbull. I'm going to say no. Yes. Pitbull appeared <gasps> in 1994 under his real name, Armando Perez. Dolly. How about that? Uh, <laughs> Pipple said that he chose his stage name because, quote, the dogs bite to lock. The dog is too stupid to lose. And they're outlawed in Dade County. They're basically everything that I am. <laughs> too stupid to lose. 
<laughs> but also, so when I was coming up with this question, I sure. was like, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to put Mr. Worldwide in there. And then I was like, I should double check. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It turned out that he was. And I thought it was very funny. And then I was like looking up more about Armando Perez. And I found his LinkedIn page. <laughs> and it's just like. It's just like Armando Perez. I go under the stage name Pitbull. He has a LinkedIn page. <laughs> what? I think I like I'm like ninety percent sure that it's actually him. But like, who would go through the trouble to like make a fake make LinkedIn a page? Oh my god! So you can contact him. You can like recommend yeah, him. I'm like a third level connection with <laughs> with Mr. Worldwide on LinkedIn. Fireball was one of my favorite songs. Thanks, Pitbull <laughs> slash Armando Perez. Oh my gosh, Mr. Worldwide. Bless great. Him. All right, Lauren. Question 10. Season four of RuPaul's Drag Race was the first time in the show's history that named two runners up. Sharon Needles won the season, but name for me, the runners up. Okay. Do you need the clue? Probably. Give me okay. the clue. The clue, neither of which appeared on One Tree Hill or in Gone with the Wind. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Uh... All right, so it's Chad, Chad Michaels, mm-hmm. and um, it's not Jujubee, because she was with Raven. Is it Jujubee? No. No. Gone with the wind, Lauren. Get it together. I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. Uh, <laughs> Tara? Uh, what's the name of the girl in Gone with the Wind? It was Chad and someone else. <laughs> you're losing all of your credibility i know right i'm now. sorry carmella it's we'll been just, a long time we'll since delete all this because it's really <laughs> embarrassing for me wow <laughs> okay okay this is like if you ask me a pittsburgh penguins i know fr- hockey I know. question lineup yeah i know well chad michaels went on to win the all-stars. The all-stars. Yeah. Which, for great reason, because Chad Michaels is one of the best drag queens I've ever, like, physically seen. Right. Uh, yeah. This the second one, I don't know if they've had as prolific as a, of a career. Yeah. Um, they did not appear in Gone with the Wind. No. They didn't appear in Gone with the Wind. <sighs> tell me who it is. Just tell me. What if I told you the clue was pointing to Scarlett O'Hara? Fifi. It's Fifi O'Hara. Yes. Yeah, because Fifi was terrible. She was a huge bitch. So how'd she get to be a runner-up? Because because the producers wanted to keep... Also, she could paint to the gods. Like, okay. truly, Fifi was very good at painting. But she was bad. Like, she was a bad singer. She had a bad attitude. She got in uh, Sharon's face all the time. She's <sighs> like the, go back to Party City bitch. Okay. That is, like, oh, that's Fifi that's yelling from, at okay. Sharon Needles. Yeah. I forgot that she was a runner-up. Probably because Fifi's so terrible, I tried to block her out of my mind. Yes, Chad Michaels, though, great drag queen. Sharon Needles, great drag queen. From Pittsburgh. I think Alaska's from Pittsburgh. I don't know if Sharon was from Pittsburgh. Well, they were together and Mm -hmm. they lived in Pittsburgh together at least for a while. Mm -hmm. So, great. Call, you can call her a drag queen of Pittsburgh, I guess, if you really want. We'll take it. Yeah. All right, y'all, that was the quiz. (laughs) I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry, Carmella. I'm sorry, Carmella. Now uh, it's time for everybody's favorite 2020 segment. Germs Corner. All right. Your uh, weekly information about Hawaii. Hawaii has a native species of wallaby. 
What? Yeah, that's what I said. So I looked this up. Okay. So there's a brush-tailed rock wallaby that has established itself on Oahu in a small but nonetheless established colony in the heart of the Kalihi Valley. So they may have somehow gotten over from from Australia to Hawaii at some point, but like there are wild wallaby in this specific part of Oahu. And I think um, at one point they were able to like try to try to number try to estimate the number and in like the 1980s there were only like 40 of them oh wow okay um but they question mark they don't know how many there are but every now and then there will be like a news story that pops up apparently that's like hey we got we spotted another wallaby in the kalihi valley oh my gosh so i had no idea huh i didn't know thanks Thanks, germ germ. (laughs) (laughs) and like lauren said at the top of the show um if you're going to be in geek bowl if you're going to be in, if you're going to be at Geek Bowl in Chicago, and you want to hang out with us and a bunch of our other um, amazing podcast and trivia friends, um, you can check out the event. Yeah, it's Trivia Ganza, a podcast in a Lamadani mixer. It's going to be fun. To see you there. Yeah, it's free. We just need to know. We just wanted an estimate of how many people were going to be there. Also, guys, we have a limited edition <gasps> amount of special stickers Ooh. that Julia found and ordered, and we love them so much. I, if you're not careful we'll keep them all so come and take them from us uh and uh there's gonna be lots of swag and stuff uh so yeah definitely come It'll be a lot love of to fun. see you um as far as this podcast goes you can find us wherever please rate review and subscribe yes and thank you so much to all the people who have listened to our request to do so um yeah, yeah we've gotten like a lot more a lot more reviews in the last couple of weeks and yes. it's been really really nice yeah thanks so much guys thanks, we guys. really appreciate it And uh, we will catch you next time. Adios. Bye.